Tarry here, where the stories never go And you hear something new every time they are told and it comes clear So tarry here, where it doesn't matter your age And when we gather round the table we all take the stage year after year Good morning. You are listening to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour on EnlightenedRadio.org on February 26th, 2024. Community radio broadcasting from Bolivar, West Virginia and Hagerstown, Maryland. This is Jane Dorfman, storyteller and author. And I'm here with your regular Story Hour host, Fanny Crawford, and welcoming you to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour here at www.enlightenradio.org. Recordings, podcasts, all of these hour-long radio programs are available weekly at talltales.enlightenradio.org. Some of them going back seven years and more, and you might even find the one I did before. <laughs> good morning, Jane. Yeah, good morning, Fanny. Thank you. That's so exciting to have somebody else do, do my little lines. <laughs> Of course, I'm critiquing them and thinking, oh, 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 I should change that. I should change that. But it sounds good when you do it. Thanks. Well, I should tell our listeners that Stasiokowski, my usual radio partner, is not here with us today. He's um, helping his brother take care of his health. And I'm pretty sure he'll be back next week with us, but Jane is standing in. And our theme today is the National Women's Storytelling Festival. Jane and I are both going to be telling stories there. So I thought, I thought, Jane, you would be the perfect person. Thank you. Show. <laughs> Do you want to um, tell a little story first? Do you want me to tell a little? I could also do some um, calendar updates we didn't talk about the order of things today well, i'll tell i'll tell my little story first and you can tell yours um later okay this is not what i'm telling at the women's storytelling festival the women's storytelling festival i am impersonating calamity jane and it's kind of like as if calamity jane did a ted talk but this other story is one of my favorites and it actually sort of came to me out of the blue when I was going down to a storytelling festival in South Carolina. So I was in Baltimore, Washington airport and I had just made my way through security and I was sitting down to tie my shoes on those little benches when I looked down and there was a beagle looking up at me. A kind of elderly beagle because she was gray all around the muzzle. And then I looked up behind her, and there was an enormous man in a black flak jacket that said DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, which I should have been expecting when I saw the beagle because my nephew told me, now never mind how he knew, that if you were stopped for drug possession at the airport, a dog comes and sits on your feet. Well, this enormous man with his huge collection of zip ties and handcuffs and a gun said, Will you please come with me? Sadie here has detected something of interest in your carry-on. So I finished tying up my shoes and um, I got up and I, I pulled up the handle on my little rolling suitcase and I followed him slowly because Sadie was sort of an elderly dog. 
And we went up to one of those doors that says, do not enter, alarm will sound. And he keyed us in and uh, I followed him in. And if you've wondered about these spaces, they are nowhere near as nice as the rest of the airport. Long um, vinyl halls and lots of steel doors with little windows in them. They had enough little steel doored cubicles to have caught up an entire drug cartel. And we went into one and there was a low bench and he said, put your suitcase on the bench, open it and keep your hands in sight at all times. So I opened my suitcase and Sadie wagging her tail went into my suitcase. She, Recording in progress. He drooled on my nightgown. She drooled on the shirt I had actually ironed and she zeroed in on my travel kit. Now I got out the travel kit and I unzipped it and I took out the little jar because I knew that's what she was after. I had recently started using some CBD ointment for some pain in my joints. And I took out the little jar. I had scooped some of it into this tiny jar because the whole big jar is way too expensive and heavy. So I took off the lid and I held it out to Sadie. And she began to wag her tail even harder. And she did that smiling thing that beagles do. And she sniffed it and she opened her mouth and she ate the jar. And her handler said, drop it, Sadie, drop it. Uh-uh, Sadie did not drop it. And he tried to force her mouth open with his fingers in the corner of her mouth. But mm-mm, she did not drop it. And then she gave a really big gulp and she swallowed it. And he looked at me, what was in that jar? And I said, CBD ointment? And he picked Sadie up and he clutched her against his chest and he began to ran, run down the hall saying, Tina, Tina, I need you. And he didn't come back. And he didn't come back. And um, I looked at my watch. I had a plane to catch. And he had never taken my name. And the stuff really is perfectly legal. So um, I zipped up my suitcase and I uh, put it back on the floor. And I put, pulled up the handle and I left that little room. But I had been pretty anxious when we walked in there and I wasn't sure which direction we had come from. So I picked one and I went zooming down the hall and I passed doors that said knitting needles and nail clippers. I passed barrels of Swiss army knives. I passed whole rooms that said shampoo and conditioner. But finally, up ahead, I saw another one of those push bar doors. And I pushed it. And for your information, the alarm seems to only sound on the way in. I was way away from my gate. But I um, I could go by the numbers. And I was pulling that bag and running as fast as I could. Until I came to my gate, there was nobody left there. But the desk staff were waving me on like I was coming in from a race. And they quickly scanned my um ticket and they sent me running down the corridor to the plane and I got in just as the pilot was asking the stewardesses to arm the doors and I found a seat and you were not going to believe this part but there was actually room in the overhead compartment for my suitcase and I was so full of adrenaline I picked that thing up over my head I slam dunked it into the compartment and slammed the door and then I sat down and I closed my eyes because I had been hauled away by the Drug Enforcement Administration and I did not want to make eye contact with anyone. Well, I wished Sadie well. I hoped if she had some pain in her little paws or her back, that the CBD ointment would help. 
but I didn't know the end of the story. I didn't know the end of the story until I got to where I was going and was uh, hanging some things up in my hotel room and I clicked on the TV the way you do for noise and there was the nightly news. And you know how they put little funny bits in between the grim and serious stories? Well, I heard them saying, drug-sniffing dog in Baltimore swallows the evidence and seems to have discovered the fountain of youth. And there was Sadie. She was prancing around like a puppy. And when her trainer held a little piece of food over her head, she stood up on her back legs and she pranced around like a circus dog. Well, the CBD ointment has not really worked for me, but um, someday I will give it another chance because um, I have hope. And that's the end. Oh, I love that story. I think you told that at the first Women's Storytelling Festival. Yep, I think I did. Yeah, I only had All a right. tiny little part then, and so I told that one. And then actually I got another bigger part because somebody was sick. But because um, the first one was right as COVID was coming. Yeah. A lot of people oh. were so fearful. And I was probably fearful too, but I did go in. <laughs> I had heard that only two tellers missed the festival. Did you, do you know? Yeah, I know. And somebody had a really elderly relative that she yeah. took of and she just didn't feel she could risk. And she was coming by plane, I think. But anyway, she didn't feel she could risk it. Well, they were good reasons. Yeah, I was amazed that we only lost two tellers yeah, from yeah. the roster that year. But we did lose some of the paid mm -hmm. um, participants. The people coming from yes. a distance, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. I didn't tell at the next couple, uh, but I did go. And then um, last year, the next one. Then last year I had a smaller portion and I told there. No, not last year, year before. I'm confused, but I went and last year was a wonderful festival and I got to meet so many terrific tellers. It was just some of my idols, you know, and I had lunch with them, which was really, which yeah. was really <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it was good. And I'm expecting it to be just as good this year. It is a wonderful, wonderful festival. Yeah. I was there for the first one and told um, one of my Aunt Irene's. Your aunt, I remember you had on the bathrobe and a turban. That was quite wonderful. <laughs> that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And this year um, you're doing your mother. Yep, I am. Yeah. Oh, and, or some version of my mother. Some version story. of your I'm mother. Still, yeah, yeah. It's um, a story. Figuring out what to include and whatnot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm doing a real short one for the opening, the live opening on mm -hmm. Friday evening. But um that was that first festival was just wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. It was such a good idea because I mean it bothers yeah. me still. You look around and they're advertising festivals, and there will be five tellers and there'll be four men and one woman, or there'll be seven <laughs> tellers and there'll be five men and two women. And then sometimes one of the women is of a particular ethnicity, and they feel like, okay, we're going to cover two bases at one. We don't have to ask <laughs> any more women. And it really there are so many wonderful women tellers. Not that I don't like the men tellers, but it really should be more equitable. Absolutely. So this one is all women and um, it's great. I do hear from Jessica Biscatelli Robinson, who organizes it, that 20% of the audience is male. Mm -hmm. So and I, as I sent out all my marketing stuff for the festival, I tried to include that when I was talking. Oh yeah, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> because some people won't even, some men won't even take the, um, 
flyer or the well, my husband <laughs> wouldn't wear the my husband wouldn't wear the t-shirt but <laughs> <laughs> well okay yeah. well i do want to before we go too far into the woods i want to thank andy offit Irwin for in introducing our uh, storytelling hour every week with his song tarry here yeah that's a lovely I song do love it yes and he does it so well and that reminds me that andy's going to be one of our featured tellers at stories in the round in the coming season oh nice and i usually say something about at least about the first show which will be uh april 22nd, Monday, mm -hmm. April 22nd, Susan Gordon will be our opening teller, 7 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Hagerstown, which is where all of the series runs. That's such a nice story listening space. It really is. It is a nice, and we have a wonderful audience. I think the audience is among the most wonderful parts of the <laughs> series. Yeah, yeah, and, you brought them up nicely, yeah. Well, and you have told there, too, so yeah. I know you... Yeah, I had a great, great response to Calamity Jane. And then before that, I did, uh, some time back, I did Arabian Nights. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I just want to tell our, tell our, tell our listeners that um, if you're interested in Stories in the Round, you can reach me by phone at 301-730-1638 or on my email account at Fanitsky, F-A-N-I-T-S-K-Y, <laughs> at hotmail.com, <laughs> which reminds me, hotmail. I should ask you, Jane, how can our listeners find out about your CDs and anything else you are producing? Okay, well, until I get my act together and get my own webpage, which I don't have, I am still on Voices in the Glen, which is a storytelling group for Maryland Virginia and DC. So it's voices in the Glen, all strung together.org. And then when you go there, you will see the tellers. And if you click on my name, then you come to my page, which talks a little bit about me and the kind of stories I tell. And it shows my two CDs. Um, Tales from the Arabian Nights is one of obviously Arabian Nights. And then the other one is um, the Man Who Had No Story. And to brag a little bit, they both won World Storytelling Awards. So I got one of those nice gold stickers to uh, put on the cover of both of them. But you can um, contact me and I will sell them to you for, I think, probably the going rate is $10 a piece and I'll cover the postage. But And I'll also have some at the uh, Women's Storytelling Festival. Well, and they're well worth, they're worth triple Oh, yeah. It may have been a vanity project, but I've never been sorry I did it. So they're wonderful stories, really like. and certainly um, when you told Arabian Nights and stories in the round, the audience was really responsive. Yeah. It's gotten it's grown a little since then because I found some additional translations and some parts that were not clear to me of what was going on. I'm, oh, that's what they mean. And I use a particular translation by Hathaway, who I, I just really think his are the best. And he's translating into um, English, even though that is not his native tongue. He speaks a variety of Arabic languages. But they're very good and readable, so much better than the Burton. And uh, he does have a couple little slip-ups as, as a time where he's supposed to be talking romantically about this woman's body. And he says that her 
Her belly is like a mound of white benzoate ointment. And I'm going, uh-uh, that, that just is not the least bit romantic. All I can think of is a big blob of sunscreen. <laughs> Maybe that was his idea of humor. <laughs> it doesn't, it, I don't think so. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that was very good. Oh, and, pretty uh, funny. Calamity Jane, I don't know that I'm ever going to record that because the way I do it is is, is if Calamity has come back to Deadwood um, not too long before her death and she is talking to the ladies' auxiliary and um, the supposed head of the ladies' auxiliary has gathered questions and I take the questions one at a time out of a cigar box and it doesn't really matter what out, what order they're in and then I talk about those subjects. So that that seems to work for me, and it. I didn't want to. I love Calamity Jane, and I have so many books on her, and I have written a children's book about her, um, with with this she's features in. But I didn't want it to get to be a lecture. I wanted to keep that freshness of storytelling, and I do sometimes stack the questions. If I was really bold, I would shake them all up and take them totally at random. But I don't do that. <laughs> That I think, you know, I have loved every single one of your stories that I've ever heard you tell, oh, including Thank the you. ones that I've heard you tell in workshops where they were um, rough, nascent, you know, they were still yes. in process. And Calamity Jane, I think, is my very favorite. You just yeah, inhabit she, that character. Yeah, she came out of that, um, one of those workshops. And she actually came out of, I went to a very fancy thrift store with my friend. It was like the kind of thrift store where the embassy people leave their clothes. <laughs> and I found this great shirt. And I said, this would be perfect for Calamity Jane. And so then that's when I decided that I would actually tell and do it as a, um, you know, as a storytelling project. Yeah. Well, and it is a perfection. And yeah. Yeah. you do it really, really well. Um, now it has a very uh, authentic moth hole in it that I'm going to have to patch up before I um, uh, use it again. But it just adds to the um, ambiance. Jane could even comment on that. Yeah. Oh, look at this old shirt. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask about, I remember hearing from you that you have a history of your own with Calamity Jane, that you've been enamored or involved yeah, yeah. with her as a personage for a long well, time. I have been um, reading and writing about her, not publishing, but reading and writing. Um, I have many, many books. Um, th there's a little book uh, that was printed up for her to sell when she did talks. And that's probably genuine. There's a little book called Calamity Jane's Letters to Her Daughter, which is a nice read, but is probably total fake. Um, but uh, it's a nice thing to read. And then there's all sorts of books that people wrote about her. I mean, she has not been forgotten, even though some people don't think she was real. Um, she didn't die till 1903, not that long ago, you know. And uh, just an, an interesting life, you know, somebody who did stuff, you know, her own way. Um, and I really like that. And the name, you know, come on. I'm sure that has something uh, to do, do with my... Uh... Do you remember what first drew you to her? What, what your earliest awareness of her? It might have been the name, Calamity Jane. It might have been the, um, you know, the, the stories about her, her bravery. Um, you know, she uh, nursing a cabin full of miners with an illness, nursing people with smallpox because she said she'd already had it. Um, so those were good things. Um, 
And then the whole bit with um, Wild Bill Hickok, who was a very pretty man and just the love of her life, probably unrequited. <laughs> wow. And I like, so, I like Buffalo Bill Cody. The more I, I, I wish there was a way for me to tell as Buffalo Bill Cody, but I don't think there is because he had a wonderful life and he was just such a, I mean, larger than life character. He was the best known person, including the president in the country, the best known face. Wow. His bill, his uh, signs were posted on every, uh, all over the West, all over any town. Every time his show came into town, they would just cover the place with those paste on posters. <laughs> yeah, he was a great Was character. that, were, were you, were, were you a teenager, a young adult at that point? When you no, I was I was probably out of college. Yeah, uh, by the time I really found out about Jane, and I may have seen that horrible Doris Day movie, but let's, <laughs> I try to blot that from my memory. I have not seen that. You no, mentioned no. that before. <laughs> <laughs> if they could have cast a worse person, they would have had to look very hard. As I, um, we haven't talked about this before. I don't think, um, and it certainly was not. A question that I had thought about before this, but um, is has biography been an interest of yours forever? I know before you retired, you were a librarian. Yeah, I was. A, I was a children's first an adult librarian, and then first a reference librarian, where I was really not an asset. But then um, children's. Um, so I like biographies. I really liked them a lot. I remember when I was in grade school, one of my teachers in the in-class library, which was all we had had a huge set of biographies of famous people. And I remember reading Madame Curie's and Varian Lincoln's, and they were they were just really inspiring little books. It's not something that I read very much now, um, you know, but uh, it's not my go-to sort of book. But mm -hmm. I think to, to give a whole study of one person's life is very interesting because you never know. We know these famous people so superficially. Yeah. Yeah. What they did I, as a child is just, you know, really neat. I'm I'm reading Galileo's daughter, my mother's copy, and she really was impressed with the book. So mm -hmm. I've I've had I've been she died in 2011, and I've been it's been on my bedside table <laughs> since then. But I'm now um, more finally than reading it. Good, good. Yeah, that bedside table can be a real black hole. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. At least it's not keeping me awake. So that's true. Yeah. I, I tell a lot of Celtic stories and, and fairy tales and folk tales, but the, I was looking for this particular Celtic story and I was looking and looking and I wrote to this listserv and somebody finally gave me the title of the book where it was. And then I realized I own that book. And then I realized it's on my bedside table. You know? That <laughs> this mysterious story you. was like two feet from my head. <laughs> <laughs> now maybe you were absorbing it in some but some I do tell it that's, um, that's the one where Finn McCool's aunt is turned into a dog it's one of my yeah. favorite stories great um, story it was right there <laughs> and I tell you know I tell I tell some some of the lies like the drug sniffing dog and I tell some personal stories and some I don't have a good word for it crafted stories created stories things that I make up mm. And then, original stories that's original you can it. call it that yeah and then i tell when i tell the children it's mostly folk tales and fairy tales and i try to build in some you know some chance or some participation because 
under a certain age, they really can't listen for yeah. 40 minutes without it being oh. asked to join in. Yeah, absolutely. They have to move a little bit. Well, to get back to the Women's Storytelling Festival, because I do want to mm-hmm. bring that up now and again. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a sense of what your path was to, to the, the first? To the first one? I think I knew um, Jessica. I think she put out very generously just a call for uh, applications. And I applied oh. and I said I would really like to tell. And I think that's another good thing that this Women's Festival does is I think she does have some big names. She does have some people who perform all over the country nationally, but she's open to newcomers, people Mm -hmm. who've taken a couple classes, who've told she has many, many events all the time, every month. And so she's had people who have gotten their feet wet with just like a little stand-up storytelling, and then they've gotten more serious and crafted their stories more. And so she's really open to um, newcomers, which is, which is great and is sadly somewhat unusual in big festivals. Yeah, there, I noticed that there are several new faces. Yeah, people that I, I, I know, that I'm I looking forward know. to hearing them, but I, I have not heard them before. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it will be. It will be nice. Yeah, and it's in a lovely space. I mean, it's in the um, Fairfax, the old Fairfax Town Hall. And mm-hmm. it's a very good performance space. And it's convenient. There's lots of restaurants around. You know, it's a nice place to spend the day or the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. certainly enjoyed myself when I was mm-hmm. there last time. Mm-hmm. And we will again. Yeah. Um, if you're ready to do another station ID, then I'm ready to tell a story after that. <clears throat> oh, great. So you are listening to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour on enlightenradio.org, community radio broadcasting from Bolivar, West Virginia, and Hagerstown, Maryland. This is Jane Dorfman. I am the storyteller today, and Fanny Crawford, another storyteller, is here with me. And this is she is the regular host for Story Hour. We welcome you to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour also at www.enlightenradio.org. Recordings, podcasts of these hour-long radio programs are available weekly at talltales.enlightenradio.org. Some of them going back seven years <laughs> including Including at least one maybe more than that by yeah. you well i'm going to tell a story that's a little shorter than i usually do but i want to honor one last time in february black history month although we do tell a lot of black history stories on this show um but my story today is about a dutch-speaking New York abolitionist named Isabella Baumfree, African-American, and you may know her as Sojourner Truth. Isabella Baumfree was born enslaved about 1797 to enslaved parents. Her mother had been kidnapped and brought to the U.S. from Guinea on the west coast of Africa. Her father was from Ghana, just south of Guinea. Her parents were bought and enslaved by a Dutch-American farmer in New York State, just 100 miles north of New York City. Now, I knew of Sojourner Truth um, and her work, her life's work, from my parents' stories about her um, when she was an adult. But the story that I've recently discovered about 
Isabella Boundfree um, was helps explain how she became that great orator and, and abolitionist. Until she was sold at the age of nine years, Isabella spoke only Dutch, so English was her second language. And on the death of her first owner, she was sold off the farm as part of a package with a flock of sheep. Such were the customs of slave sales that children were commonly sold with livestock as a set if they had those skills of herding or uh, caring for animals. Her new slave master was a more vicious man who beat her daily, apparently, at least partly because she did not speak English and did not understand his instructions. She was sold twice after that, eventually to a farmer who treated her fairly well, though his wife was abusive to her. At age 18, probably 1815, she fell in love with an enslaved man named Robert from a nearby farm. But Robert's owner forbade the match on economic grounds because the children of Robert and Isabella would belong to Isabella's owner, robbing Robert's owner of future slaves he might have if Robert married an enslaved woman on his own farm. Now, Robert and Isabella continued their relationship anyway, and Isabella became pregnant. When Robert was discovered as the father, his enslaver beat him savagely, and Robert soon died of his injuries. Isabella was then forced to marry an older slave belonging to her owner and eventually had five children, first by Robert and four by her new husband, whose name was Thomas. Emancipation of slaves by the state of New York began in 1799, but it was a gradual process and not completed for more than 25 years. Isabella's owner promised he would free her one year before state emancipation was fully enacted, but he reneged on his promise. Now you remember that she was originally sold with a flock of sheep. She was still engaged with sheep on this farm, carding, spinning, and knitting wool. As final obligation to this man who enslaved her, as she reported in her later autobiography, she angrily finished spinning 100 pounds of wool late in 1826. And then she says, I did not run off for I thought that wicked, but walked off believing that to be right. She took her youngest child, the infant Sophia, with her, but was forced to leave her other children. Under the New York State Emancipation Act, enslaved children were bound as servants till they were into their 20s. Of her five children, one died as a baby, but there is documentation that she was able to stay in contact with all the rest. Isabella found refuge for herself in the infant Sophia in 1826 with a couple named Van Wagenen, who agreed to buy her services from her former owner for the remainder of the year until the state's emancipation was fully in effect. And during that time, she learned that her five-year-old son, Peter, had been sold illegally because he was to be emancipated to an owner in Alabama. With help from the Van Wagenens, 
She sued the New York slave owner in court, and after months of legal proceedings, her son was returned, though not before he'd suffered some severe beatings and abuse in Alabama. Isabella Bamfrey won one of the very first cases brought by a black woman against a white man in the US courts. A few years later, 1829, she moved with her children to New York City, where she found work as a housekeeper. 10 years later, her son Peter took a job on a whaling ship and disappeared under mysterious circumstances and was never heard from again. By 1843, Isabella Bamfrey had changed her name to Sojourner Truth and became a Seventh-day Adventist preacher as well as abolitionist. The dictionary definition of Sojourner, of course, is temporary resident or occupant, but the biblical definition, and surely one that Isabella was familiar with, is foreigner, stranger, guest, whether unwanted or wanted. And the Old Testament and the Torah insist on the sacred duty of a host to his guests, even to suffering great hardship to ensure their protection. In 1850, William Lloyd Garrison published Sojourner Truth's autobiography, Narrative of Sojourner Truth and Northern Slave. In 1851, Sojourner delivered her famous extemporaneous speech on women's rights, Ain't I a Woman, to the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. And over the next 10 years, she spoke before hundreds of audiences from New York to Ohio and Michigan, where she eventually settled. In Michigan, 1858, someone in a crowd interrupted her to accuse her of being a man because of her speaking skills. She spontaneously pulled open her blouse to reveal her breasts. I have to think this is a woman who's very clear about why she's up there on the lectern. She said in response, I feel safe in the midst of my enemies for the truth is powerful and prevails. Using the fees that she earned from her speaking engagements. Sojourner bought a house in Battle Creek, Michigan, settled there with her daughter and two grandsons. During the Civil War, she helped recruit black troops for the Union Army. Her grandson, James Caldwell, enlisted with the 54th Massachusetts, the black regiment led by Robert Goldshaw and celebrated in the film Glory for their courageous but fatal assault on Fort Wagner in South Carolina. She worked with the National Freedmen's Relief Association in Washington to improve conditions for African-Americans, met with Abraham Lincoln as president. And while working at the Freedmen's Hospital in Washington, she rode on city streetcars, uh, part of the movement that helped force their desegregation. In the late, um, 1860s and 70s, following passage of the 13th Amendment that freed all US slaves, she embarked on another speaking circuit talking about the rights of women. She argued that now was the best time for equal rights, such as suffrage, to keep things going, fearing that once the fight for black suffrage settled down, it would take a long time to warm people back up to rights for women. 
she said, I'm glad to see that men are getting their rights, but I want women to get ours too. And while the water is stirring, I will step into the pool. But for former slaves, she pursued land grants from the government of Ulysses S. Grant for seven years, telling audiences that those in poverty must have land to work, not handouts or stipends from other taxpayers. Throughout her life, she spoke the truth as she saw it, never stepping away from controversy and always speaking up for the rights of freed slaves, for women, for prison reform, and against capital punishment. In addition to Frederick Douglass, William Lloyd Garrison, and David Ruggles, she had many loyal friends and supporters among veteran social reformers, Quakers, Methodists, Hicksite Quakers, Amy and Isaac Post, suffragist and abolitionist Francis Gage, who wrote books for children um, under the <laughs> pseudonym Aunt Fanny, suffragists Lucretia Mott and Susan B. Anthony, Ellen G. White, co-founder of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Sojourner Truth died at home in Battle Creek, Michigan, November 1883, at 85 years old, 40 years after she declared her life purpose with that charismatic born-again name. More than 3,000 people crowded into the Battle Creek Tabernacle to pay their last respects to the little girl born enslaved, who awed, badgered, and benefited millions of Americans. So oh, that's wonderful. I know I did not know hardly any of those things about her. It's quite different from the usual textbook yeah, yeah, <laughs> description, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think it's she was so ahead of her time too. I mean, really, yes, yeah. absolutely. One of those bold, apparently fearless people. I'm sure mm -hmm. that's not true, but she certainly appeared that way to many. Um, cool. I have this little list of questions here. Okay, <laughs> just to keep us going. Yep. Um, is there anything in particular you think our listeners? Should need to know further about the National Women's Storytelling Festival? Um, I, I think you just need to encourage them to come. It is not going to be something that they will get bored at. It will be <laughs> lively. The women tellers, <clears throat> there's a huge variety. I mean, there are certainly some traditional folk and fairy tales. There are some very bawdy stories. There are long adventure stories. It's, it's a real mix. And there's yeah, you know, a little, there'll be a little time to have lunch and dinner and uh, evening concerts and afternoons, morning. Yeah, it's great. Parking is quite easy. As I said, there are plenty of restaurants around. Um, and the people are real, there's a real feeling of camaraderie. I mean, even, even just if you're in the audience, not just in the audience, heavens, we always need an audience. But even if you are not telling, there is an opportunity to talk to all these people, you know. The stage yeah. is not way high elevated up in front of 3,000 people. You're right there. It, it really I is. I really appreciate that in that festival. It, it feels like a, a little community for those yeah. days. That you absolutely cannot get there if you're too far away or you don't want to come out. Um, it's going to be broadcast. So Jessica um, yeah, Piscatelli, what she does for a living is um, a videographer. So it's broadcast very nicely and... Uh, you know, you can sign up and watch it at home. 
And the easiest way to find out more details or to buy your tickets is to go to bettersaidthandone.com and mm -hmm. click on the Women's Festival. Yeah, and there'll be a, a, a Thirsty is is all virtual. It's, it's so totally a virtual concert. People who can't get there or too far away. Um, uh, so that that's one that you can, even if you're going in person, you can watch the virtual one. Though I may be practicing too hard to watch the Thirsty one. But <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> So that's March 14th to the 17th. The 14th is all Zoom. And then the next night, the 15th, is the live opening. And of course, Saturday and Sunday as okay. well. Yeah. Better said than done.com slash women's festival. festival. Yeah. 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 They should check it out. It's it's good. It's gonna be just wonderful. Yeah. And as long as we're talking about dates, I've already told you about stories in the round opening <clears throat> on the 22nd. I'm doing a very small, fairly intimate storytelling event on March 10th, which is a uh, Sunday, I believe. Um, that was an, an auction event from the Unitarian Universalist Church Spring Auction back in May. And um, there will be a fair number of people there considering it's at my house. <laughs> but, uh, but if people want more information, you can call me at 301-730-1638. We still oh, have a couple, but just a couple. Somebody actually money. bid on this storytelling? This is Yes. A, oh, cool. We did. So if you come, it's a relatively expensive event considering that it's only two hours long. And I was asked to talk about how I became a teller. Mm-hmm. So that will be the focus, but I'll probably wander all over the map. Since yeah, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, you should come. And oh, there was... Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, and I think it will be really fun for me. Oh, and there will be food, not a whole meal, but a lot of refreshments. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess I also wanted to mention that Chris Potts um, will be portraying Sarah Grimke. Um, at Susan Gordon's place, so you can call me at mm -hmm. 301 She's a good teller. I haven't seen her in a long time. Yeah. 301-730-1638 if you want more information mm -hmm. about that. That's probably... Oh, well, Stash usually talks about the Speak series. Mm -hmm. So I should at least mention that on... Tuesday, March 12th, which I think is the second Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, is the next session at 7.30 at the Community Club in Shepherdstown. And I just had the his name, his name is Peter, the tip of my um, Peter what? Cook, Peter Cook. Peter Cook. Oh, yeah, he's yes. wonderful. I've seen him. He is wonderful. I've seen him at Jonesboro and he blew me away. That was a teller and somebody voices for him, but really they hardly need to. He's so good. He is very, very communicating. Good. Charismatic, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great face. Yeah, that should be good. Do you want to do another station ID for us? Okie doke. Let me go back to my, I don't have it memorized quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
Yeah. Well, you are listening to the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour on EnlightenRadio.org, community radio broadcasting from Bolivar, West Virginia, and Hagerstown, Maryland. My name is Jane Dorfman, and it's February 26th, 2024. Um your usual host, Fanny Crawford, is with me and welcoming. We welcome you to Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour, which you can also find at www.enlightenradio.org. The recordings, podcasts of these hour long radio programs are available weekly at talltales.enlightenradio.org, some of them going back as far as seven years. And we are missing the second usual host, Stas Tarkovsky, but he will probably be back next time. I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have these questions, and one of my things I, I really wanted to hear about, which you mentioned to me on the phone earlier, was um, your, your next story gig. You're going to be at another um, festival? Yeah, it's, um, it's called Roadhouse Stories, and it's several times a year. A man named Sam Pearsall gets together in a lovely old building, and it's um, in Cary, North Carolina, so it's a bit of a trek for me. There are four other tellers, um, Sam himself, Milbury Birch, a woman named Wood. I can't, I'm trying to find her last name, yeah. um, but uh, he is another one. He just uh, loves storytelling, and he gets these things together. And I was really pleased. I kind of pitched him, um, you know, a, a, a story saying uh, I, I wanted to do this. And he invited me down for April. So that's April 13th in Cary, North Carolina. And it's in the evening. And uh, I think it will be a lot of fun once I get there and drive all that way by myself. Um, it will be fine. So. I wish I could be there. I'm tempted. Me too. You could drive with me. You could take half the driving. That'd be great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ponder. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll be fine. It's not all that far. Right. Um, and it will be good. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And it's uh, uh, something kind of new for me. And it will be neat to do it. And, and I love the other tellers. I don't know um, Ms. Wood, but um, the other two tellers are great. So it'll be, it's always fun to go to these places and hear the other tellers. And sometimes you get so caught up listening. Oh, am I on now? Okay. Well, I have to get up and do what mine. Was and, then I was I can, tell? and then I can go back to listening to these other people. So yeah, that's the next thing I have coming up. You know, I, we, my storytelling group Voices in the Glen has, um, in case anybody's interested, uh, has monthly swaps that are open to the public. You just need to go to voicesintheglen.org and look at our calendar. It's once a month. Anybody's invited. At this point, they are on Zoom and occasionally hybrid. So um, even uh, we can, mostly the hybrids at my house so far, but we'll, we'll broadcast from my basement and also have people there in person, or we'll just have them all on Zoom. And it's a great place to come. Even if you just want to listen, there's some really good storytelling going on. That's every month. Well, we've okay. been talking a bit about um, the community of storytelling or the what how uh, nurturing or nourishing it is to mm -hmm. be no, in a room really full is. of storytellers especially with an audience for yeah, sure with an audience, but, yeah. um, but even if your only audience are other tellers um, it really is a, a develop for me it's a developmental experience yeah, <laughs> I, I go um to uh a uh, Zoom um, event every week in Northern Ireland 
and I have actually been to Northern Ireland um, year before and in 22 and was a, a guest teller at the Glens of Antrim storytelling event. And that was just a high point of my whole life, probably. And wow. I met wonderful tellers and not to diss America, but a culture where there is storytelling every week and lots of people come out at these little libraries and town halls. And uh, it was a wonderful soup to be mixed up in. It was, <laughs> so I go and I see these people and I feel like, you know, they're my friend. They are my friends. Some of them that I've actually met. And yeah, it's um, it's been a nice thing. And some of the people that I have met on the barn, at the barn, um, at least one of them I'm going to see in person at the Women's Festival because she's coming down from Connecticut. All so right. I get to meet her in the flesh. <laughs> and sometimes you're so surprised. Like there's um, a wonderful Japanese teller who lives in Northern Ireland. And when I met her, I just was so surprised. She's five foot nine. And I'm going, <laughs> I could not tell that at all from you know, the waist up. <laughs> um, so sometimes you have little surprises like that. So are there tellers that you've met from your travels that you think we should pay attention to? Or do they have- oh, Liz Weir is quite wonderful, Colin Irwin, though those, the, those two both come to um, the US a fair amount. They tell at Timpanogos or Jonesboro or uh, Colin went down to the uh, Texas festival in Texas. Um, there's a wonderful man from um, Orkney who just has a voice you could listen to all the time. Tom Muir, and he's great. And then uh, somebody who lives near Liz, Liz Stephen Hunter, another beautiful accent, big rumbling voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was great. And I met, I met some tellers, uh, one from Sweden, Isabel Hauser, who just has a light and wonderful storytelling, and Kath Edwards from Wales. Um, yeah, these people that I have heard tell, and I would love to hear them tell again. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So worthwhile the traveling. I would go back there in a second. It probably will go back sometime. <laughs> I need to get back. I hope so. Yeah, I love too. hearing about your travels. That's yeah. Great. So um, I know you've done workshops, and that's one of the ways that I access community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with yeah. Some wonderful workshops. Are there any that you can um, think of that? Uh, contributed to what you're doing now? Well, um, Andy Offit Irwin certainly runs a good workshop. I've had um, an online workshop with Antonio Roja and also some private coaching with him. And he is coming um, in April to do a one in this area. Uh, he's gonna be telling it speak and he's, he was looking for other things to do while he's all the way down here from Maine. So he's good. Joe Radner from also from Maine. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've done a wonderful workshop with her on historical stories. That's kind of her specialty of taking these historical incidents and making them, bringing them to life, which is a little trite sounding, but just giving you all the little side bits about the people and stuff you wouldn't, just like with Sojourner Truth, things you wouldn't find out from the straight little factoids that one gets about their lives. So she's really good too. Um, I'm sure there are others. Simon Brooks does a good workshop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've taken workshops on building your own website, but it just hasn't sunk in. 
<laughs> That's, too, That's I, a very different kind of election. I started once and it just ran away from me and I canceled it right away. But I'll, I need to get one, so I'll start again sometime. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the workshops are really good for work, as you said, working on new things. Like I'm uh, working on a story about a, a character from the Greek plays and from the Iliad named Philoctetes. And just a really interesting story. Mm. I want to... I kind of want to make it one of those braided stories where you have something current that reminds you of the same outcast that Philoctetes became. But I'm working on that. Yeah. So. All right. That's cool. I did um, miss a scheduled storytelling event when I was getting the calendar. Um, mm. That's Friday, March 8th, right here in Hagerstown at the Fletcher Library downtown, the big library downtown. Mm -hmm. Black Storytellers of Western Maryland are celebrating their first anniversary. And I'm a member, so I definitely want to talk. Definitely to want to go, yeah. And there'll be That's three nice of us telling, telling stories. Um, and it's free. Mm. So there are a limited number of tickets because the room is is huge for the black storytellers of western maryland but it is not a you know convention hall mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but um so far there are st still uh there is still space available so oh, you can good. call me about that too 301-730-1638 if people are interested in hearing anniversary stories well, that's mm -hmm. not the theme, but it is the first anniversary of the founding yeah. of the Black Story. They can say they were there at the first anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's also um, International Women's Day. They were well, they were founded on International Women's Day last year, so it's probably not the same day, but um, almost. I think it's one day, one day off. So all of those are coming up. Yeah, that's a lot going on. Um, that's really neat. Yeah, also when you when you. Go ahead. I was going to say at Quince Orchard Library in Montgomery County, there is a, uh, a St. Patrick's Day storytelling coming up. And I wish I had it written down. I knew I couldn't go. So I didn't write it down very well. Um, but if you go to Montgomery County Libraries and Quince Orchard Library, there is um, going to be all kinds of tellers coming. And they will... Um, you know, they're wonderful tellers. It's free. It's in the library. The person who runs oh. it, like you, will make some wonderful cookies and treats for people to have. <laughs> Listen. All right. I will put that on my calendar. And that's on St. Patrick's Day? No. I, <clears throat> let me fit. You talk and let me see if I can okay. <laughs> when this is. Well, I was. I know that at when at our series at Stories in the Round, we routinely have a Q&A session at the end of a telling. Mm -hmm. And certainly when I've heard you do your stories, we have had a Q&A session, I think, for each of those events. Um, and often the questions that we get from the audience as tellers are little workshops in themselves, <laughs> hearing the questions that people ask or what people want to, what the listeners want to delve more deeply into. And so I thought, you might have some interesting questions that you've been asked um, 
in in any of the venues that you <clears throat> or if any of those questions either one-on-one -on -one with audience members or from the audience at large have if you've had experiences where the yeah, audience they definitely response... have. But let me first now that i have brought up this okay. irish book tales and other stories at quince orchard library it's march 16th from three to five and it's free and it's in the library's meeting room and uh it's uh, you can even tell you can even uh, practice a story and tell yourself. Oh, yourself. Wow. So that's a nice thing. Um, yeah. I have definitely found some interesting when I have when I let people ask me questions. Um, uh, when I told Calamity Jane once, somebody asked, um, "Were she and Annie Oakley friends?" Now Annie Oakley and and Jane time wise did overlap a bit at, at Buffalo Bill's um, Wild West show. But what came out of me was such venom. I didn't know Jane hated uh, Annie Oakley and found her such a rival. I mean, she admits that Annie Oakley was a better shot than she was. But boy, whew, it was a real surprise. I felt like I was channeling Calamity Jane. And since then, I have read a little more about the hard life that Annie Oakley had as a child. And so that Calamity Jane and this Jane will tone that down a little bit and um, just talk about... Um, <laughs> Annie Oakley's uh, amazing shooting. And she really was. I mean, nobody has been able to duplicate her um, way she shot. But Jane does find it very amusing that she winged her husband once when he was holding out a playing card. <laughs> she likes that she was fallible. But yeah, they do, they do ask some interesting questions. Um, and sometimes with kids, when I tell the kids, it becomes clear that there are words they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like thatched house thatch they don't know what thatch is so that when this something in the story comes where the thatch is set on fire they don't know how fast that would burn mm. and it's just you know that they don't have that much experience but it also means they missed part of the story they missed part of the excitement of the story and and tells me that i need to explain some of those terms they wouldn't really know like handkerchief god i tell a, a very simple story where the the um joseph's overcoat where the coat gets cut down, gets ragged, and it gets cut down till it's nothing but a handkerchief. And sometimes I've looked out at those blank children's faces, and I and then I do just for funny the jokes mainly. I have to demonstrate what you do. You mop your brow, you blow your nose, <laughs> um, so that they know what a handkerchief is. Because I don't think kids oh. see anybody blowing their nose on something and then wrapping it up and lovingly putting it back in their pocket. You know, that's <laughs> just ew. I know, but it's not in their um, their field of knowledge anymore. So you, you, that's not quite a question, but it is, you know, something you need to explain and make sure that everybody's <laughs> with you in the subject. Yeah. Very good. Well, I think we are close to needing to close the show. Oh, yeah, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It has been wonderful I having hope you. Listeners, I hope some of them at least will think about coming to the Women's Storytelling Festival because they won't be disappointed. Well, so I thought we should close that the last thing we talk about should be the Storytelling Festival. Mm -hmm. um, March 14th through the 17th, live in Fairfax at Town Hall. Yeah. Oh, old town hall old town hall and you can either buy a one-day ticket or you can buy a ticket for the whole the whole festival um i don't have those rates in my head but it's not bad 
yeah, it's really reasonable. If you, if you're only going to be there for a short time, mm -hmm. you can get great deals. It, it's if it's a little more expensive to come for the whole weekend, but yeah, but if you do come, if you pay, then you get a recording. You can watch at your leisure. That's right. That's a okay. nice thing. Well, thank you so much, Jane Dorfman, for being with us and helping to pass the word about this wonderful festival, mm -hmm. National Women's Storytelling Festival. And I hope people come out to hear both of us tell yes. and the other 20 something tellers who will be there. Yeah. And there's also a swap if they're inclined to tell That's their right. own story. There's a, there's a swap they can Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell for an hour at 10, 1030. And right after that, the story swap. Wow. Cool. Um, so I'm going to close out. This is Fanny Crawford and Jane Dorfman. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Enlightened out, Radio. Closing out the Enlightened Radio Storytelling Hour, independent community radio broadcasting from Bolivar, West Virginia, and Hagerstown, Maryland, and often from Martinsburg, although Stash Stokowski was not with us today. The Storytelling Hour offers our listeners a window into the world of telling by traditional and non-traditional storytellers, encouraging you, our listening community, to share, preserve, and expand all of our stories. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for John Case, who will be up next with country music. That is John, correct. you want to say anything about that? Uh, no, country music, including, uh, hold on. You're, uh, you're muted still. I was, yes. Uh, country music, but a uh, happy bluegrass orientation in our uh, new acts that are populating country music these days. So, welcome. Thank you very much for the storytelling. It's beautiful. All right. Welcome. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jane. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Right. We'll talk.